0: August 28th of 1963, Martin Luther King Jr. stood in front of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C., and in front of a quarter of a million people, he delivered an iconic address known as the I Have a Dream speech that has forever impacted our country's history. And the way that he ended the speech, he cried out, free at last, free at last, God Almighty, we are free at last. And these are truly powerful words because our world to this day continues to still need more freedom from racism and freedom from racial and ethnic inequality. But humanity has a much deeper need and a much deeper slavery that you can actually see manifested in racism, but that's just one manifestation. There is a much deeper need inside of the human heart, and that is that we need freedom from our sin. We have our hearts entangled with a sinfulness that would ensnare us and that would draw us far away from our God and far away from his love and from our purpose. And in our slavery, our spiritual bondage, we're desperate for the freedom that only God can bring. And so we have been studying the last few weeks in the book of Galatians in a series called Free at Last. Where we're seeing how through the gospel, God frees his children to enjoy him, to run after him, to live out their purpose. So by God's grace through Christ's work on the cross, we indeed are free at last. And so today, as we continue, we'll be in Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to consider how we are set free from enslaving idols. So there are idols, there are false gods, counterfeit gods that would enslave us and keep us far away from the one true God And so today, the the primary truth from Galatians chapter 4 verse 8 through 31 is that apart from the gospel, apart from the gospel of Jesus, we will be enslaved by an idol. So just so that we're really clear, there is no possibility here. It is just very clear that apart from Jesus and his gospel, we will be enslaved by an idol. Galatians chapter 4 verse 8 makes this truth very clear. Formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God. So he says that you when you did not know God, you were in slavery, S- in slavery to what? You were enslaved to that which is not a god. So an idol is anything that you would worship That is not God. There's a reason why in the Ten Commandments, the very first commandment says that you shall have no other gods before me. You will not worship any other gods. The second commandment is very similar. It says, and you will not make for yourself any idols. So God is coming out of the gate, making it clear you will worship only me. This is what we are created for is to worship God. Pastor Tim Keller describes idols in this way. He says, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything that you seek to give you what only God can give you. And so the premise here is that every one of us has a heart, a a soul that is thirsty we all have needs and this is part of being a human. And so we all have deep longings where our, our hearts are thirsty for things like attention. So being loved, belonging so all of us have needs like the need for affection so being loved and knowing that someone else treasures us and sees our value, Every one of us has the need for acceptance. So knowing that we belong to a people, that we're not outcasts, that we're part of a group. We all need affirmation. We all need to know that we are loved and that we do have what it takes as humans to do what God's called us to do. We we all have these desires, things like significance, where we all have this desire God's given to us, to want our lives to actually matter. We have been hardwired with these desires, things even like security. We're knowing that we're going to be safe and that we're going to be okay. Humans are not animals. We're not highly evolved apes. We're not. We are image bearers of God. We have been made by God and for God in his image. And so we have a part of us that is not just physical. There's emotions and mental and spiritual elements to who we are. And so we have these deep longings, these thirsts that we have. These are God-given desires. Think back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Do you think they had these same desires before they had sinned? The answer is yes. They still needed God. They still needed his presence. And we don't don't need God just because we're sinful. It's not as though Adam and Eve before they sinned were just fine on their own. And then after they sinned, then they needed God. No, we, by our very creation, we are dependent upon God. Which is why God was with Adam and Eve in the garden. Because they were desperate for him. They needed their God To fill them. And there's no difference today. We are desperate for our God. And so all of these longings, these thirsts that are in your soul, they are there because God put them there so that he could be your security. So that he could be your hope. So that in God you would find your acceptance and find his approval and his joy and his Purpose. So he has made us this way. We have been made for God and by God. And so we can drink from the living water or we can drink from the well of this world. And so you can drink from the human well of financial security. You can drink from the well of attention from the opposite sex. You can drink from the well. Of sex or of marriage. You can drink from the well of success. There are so many different wells that we can drink from. And a lot of these are not evil, like the well of being a great mother or father. These are not evil things. And yet, when we turn to anything, including motherhood or fatherhood, or being married as our ultimate purpose and hope and joy that will not satisfy because you were made for more. You were made for God. And in him, you can live out all of your different roles well and healthy. So God designed us to need attention, affirmation, acceptance, and all of these different soul thirsts in him. And so the essence of worship, if you think about what worship means, we just sung it. Behold our God. We just sung of how nothing else compares. How he is seated on his throne, let us come and adore him. That nothing else Nothing else can satisfy who you are. And so worship, the word worship means what you find worth in. And so what you find worthy, what you value, what you treasure is what you worship. And so we were made to treasure God. And so if you want to keep it really simple, we teach our kids this, but it's true for adults. What you love, trust, and obey. So we're made to love Jesus. And we're made to trust Jesus. And when you love him and you trust him, then that leads you to obey him. And so a treasuring and a trusting of Jesus is what results in the Spirit helping us, empowering us to actually obey him. And so that which has your love, your trust, and your obedience is that which you are bowing down to worship. And if you're worshiping anything other than Jesus, That will enslave you. So if you worship the God of money, then you will be enslaved by greed. So if you worship the God of sex, you'll be enslaved by pornography. If you worship the God of security, maybe in your husband, then you're going to be enslaved by your role as a mother or as a wife. If you worship success, you will likely be a slave to your job or your business. If you worship the God of approval, you're going to be enslaved by the opinions of other people. And you will never be able to get away from what other people think about you. So whatever it is that you worship, that will enslave you. And you will not be able to get away from it. And, and you think that it's giving you joy and hope and purpose, but it doesn't. Because what we're seeing here in Galatians 1 is several truths about idols. The first one here is that idols, number one, they dominate. Idols will dominate you. They will enslave you. So if you require anything other than Jesus for hope, for happiness, then you have been enslaved by a counterfeit, by a poser God, an idol that is enslaving you. So, number one, we're seeing here that idols dominate. It says that we can be enslaved. It says two things that by nature are not gods. They can't deliver. Let's look at the second one. So, one, idols dominate. Number two, idols deceive us we can be so easily deceived by idols let's let's read the next verses verses 9 through 11 but now that you have come to know god or rather be known by god how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more you observe days and months and seasons and years I am afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. And so Paul is troubled. He's like, I went to Galatia, modern-day Turkey, and I, I planted this church. I led you to faith in Jesus. I've been teaching you. I've been laboring and loving and shepherding you, and I feel like it's a waste. It's like I'm laboring in vain. And he says, why? It's because idols will deceive us. Paul is shocked here. He says, how can you turn back? He says, too weak and worthless he calls them elementary principles of the world and says whose slaves you want to be once more so he's crying out why are you choosing slavery instead of freedom and joy in god and he calls them again elementary principles now this is greek thought And so if you know anything about Greek mythology, and I mean, we might read it now and just be interested in it. But in the ancient world, they actually believed in these Greek gods and goddesses. And they would build these massive temples, and they would go worship them. And sometimes it was very immoral where you would have like, um, for example, like Artemis. And so this goddess of like love, and, and they would go and they would have sex with temple prostitutes and call that worship. Like this was a thing. They did that. And, and they would have other temples that would like to like Poseidon or to Zeus or to Hermes. And they would have all these different temples and they would go worship them. But see, here's the thing. The Greeks believed that there were only four elements. So fire, water, earth, and air. And so these were the elements. And the whole world was made of these four elemental principles but they believed that behind every one of these elements, there was a spiritual force or a god that governed it. So like Poseidon was the god of the sea. And so he, he was the spiritual force that was governing water. And so there were these Greek forces and spiritual gods that they believed that would govern not just the elements, but that would govern your life. And so you had to go and you had to give offerings and offer sacrifices and to appease these gods, because these gods could get very angry at you. They're very capricious. And so you had to make sure that you, were, that you were really appeasing these gods. And so all of these people that are in the Church of Galatia, they came out of that. They used to be pagan worshipers, but now they're serving the one true God. And so it's so fascinating. Like, it's just so interesting. Because Paul calls this worldview, he says, weak and worthless. But to me, what is so fascinating is that it's not as though these Greek believers in, again, modern-day Turkey in Galatia, it's not as though they were dabbling in the pantheism or in the, in the um, paganism anymore. They had left that behind them. Now, they were very good church people. They were very religious. And you think, well, then why does Paul mention this Greek elemental principles if they were, they were following Jesus and they were part of a church? Well, the reason is that, remember the point of the whole book of Galatians, the whole point is that there were people, false teachers that came into Galatia, and we're teaching that you had to follow all the law, not just part of it. That you have to become circumcised, become Jewish, that you have to be a very good religious follower of the entire law. These teachers were not saying, go back to your Greek temples and be pagans again, ignore God's law. No, no, no. They were saying quite the opposite. They were saying you need to follow the whole law. So what Paul is saying here, which should shock us, is that they had exchanged pagan religion for a new religion. This Judaism, this, it looked Christian, but it was just religion. And the word is saying that it's just as deadly. Paganism, an empty religion that is self-righteous, that is legalistic, Is just as much paganism. 1 Corinthians 10.20, Paul says that offering sacrifices to pagan gods, these Greek gods, he says is offered to demons and not to God. I do not want you to participate with demons. And so in 1 Corinthians 10.20, Paul is saying that idol worship at its essence is demonic, that it is not worshiping Jesus. So he is very concerned, because whether you're a pagan or an atheist and you deny God, or whether you are enslaved to religion the way they were, either way, you're lost, because both are trying to be their own savior. And in both cases, it is a demonic scheme. Pastor John Piper describes it well. He's describing this scheme in Galatians 4, and he calls it It's clean, it's moral, it's religious, and it's hellish. He's right. Because we can be relying on ourselves and take credit in subtle ways for our own salvation rather than relying on the Holy Spirit and serving God for his glory. And so self-righteous religion enslaves. And it deceives us where we think that we love God, but it's so easy to actually not love Jesus, but to love what you do for Jesus. To love that you can serve and others notice you. To serve and feel good about yourself because now you're, you're a good Christian. You can serve with the kids or lead a home group or worship team or help with set up Or try to reach your neighbor and be very religious and very faithful and serve because you want others to notice you. And it isn't about the glory of Jesus. It is about you. And it can be very subtle. It can be very insidious. That's why I say idols deceive us. They can deceive us. Satan is great. He is good with you serving your church as long as you take the credit for it. Satan is good with you serving the church as long as you rely on your own strength and not the Holy Spirit. He's good with you serving the church as long as you get self-righteous and look down on others who don't serve as much as you do. He's great with us serving the church when we rob God of his glory and we make it about ourselves and we get self-righteous and arrogant and legalistic Satan is good with that because that's driving us far away from God and far away from our actual purpose. And so the legalistic, empty, heartless religion of the Galatians, Paul is saying, is just as demonic as pagan idol worship. Because we can make an idol out of ministry. We can make an idol out of mission and and let me tell you something i don't say this um, from an academic perspective i say this as someone who has been there 11 years ago i was serving at a church in west texas and it was a mega church and i had a a very high level associate pastor position and it was intoxicating to be in part of what you gathered. There was literally thousands hearing you preach. And, and I thought that I was all that. And I thought I was so impressive. And I had begun to worship ministry. And everyone praised me. I thought that I was so great. Oh, Matthew, you're this great young man, this great preacher, this great ministry leader. God's doing the great things through you. And I was like, yeah, yeah, he is. Yep, that's right. I agree with you. And it was so arrogant. and It was so evil. I mean, I assume I can already see my, my serving stunk in heaven. God probably thought, oh, Matthew, you think you're serving me, but what you're doing is not serving me. You are serving yourself. And God had to break me of that. And you know how He broke me of it? It was awesome. He broke me of it by allowing me to get like 30 denials for a church position. I was looking to leave and being a, a lead pastor, and like 30 churches said, Nope, not interested. And I felt so small. And I was like, God, how come no one wants to hire me? And I thought, and the Spirit was so clear because you'll kill that church. Your soul's not well. You have the appearance of worship. You have the appearance of serving, the appearance of mission, the appearance of ministry. But on the inside, your heart does not love me, Matthew. And so I love you too much to let you go be a lead pastor. You have no business leading a church. You need to repent. And I did. And learned to be content where I was. And a year and a half later, I moved to Abu Dhabi to be a pastor in an international church and do it in a much healthier way. And then years later, now come here and and I'm speaking from someone that has been there. We can make an idol out of mission or ministry and miss Jesus and not actually love Jesus. And it's evil. You know, your soul will shrink. Drink. We exist to worship Jesus, not what we do for him. So idols will dominate us, and they will deceive us. Number three, idols destroy. They will destroy us, verses 12 through 18. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong, You know that it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition at first and trial, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testified to you that if possible you would have gouged out your eyes, giving them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but no good purpose. They want to shut you out, and they make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. There's a whole lot going on in these verses, but just to give you the essence of it, Paul apparently had some eye problem. It seems to be a physical ailment, and he, he gets to Galatia. He teaches them about God. They come to faith, and, and they have this beautiful, life-giving friendship where he says, you were willing to gouge out your eyes to help me. And so it was just this beautiful, life-giving friendship between Paul and the Galatians. But then these false teachers came in, and these false teachers then Drew away the Galatians from the one true God, and now they were worshiping religion, and they weren't worshiping God, and they became legalistic, and they had lost the gospel. And so what happened now? Now they don't like Paul anymore. Why? Because Paul is telling them the truth. And so Paul, Paul says in verse 16, "What am I your enemy now? I thought we were friends. What gives? Idols destroy. They destroy our relationships. They destroy the church. They destroy unity. What happens is when, when the church, when individuals are not loving and trusting and obeying Jesus, when they take their eyes off of Jesus and it's on something else, and when it begins to be a church-wide thing where, where the church no longer is treasuring Jesus, what happens is, what you see here in these verses, people can no longer stand to hear truth. Someone comes to you because you, you did or said something, and you get defensive. And you don't want to hear it. This is what happens to a church. When idols creep in, when Satan gets his hooks in the church, all of a sudden unity breaks down, everyone is defensive, no one wants to hear truth, And the church cannot move forward with a sense of holiness and of trusting in the sovereignty of God. And so what happened is their self-righteous, legalistic hearts could no longer bear to hear truth and did not want to be open or transparent with Paul anymore. They cut him off. And he's saying, you have these leaders now that he says, They're just trying to puff you up with pride, but they don't actually love you. Don't you see what's happening to you? Open your eyes and see what your idolatry is doing to your soul and to your relationships and what it's doing to the church. You can't accomplish the mission in this situation. Idols will dominate, they will deceive, and they will destroy. Let's transition now because the text does, on finding freedom. So that's what idols do. What about freedom in Christ? What does that look like? Well, just as the summary from Galatians 1 through 4 now, the false teachers, what their message was, okay, it's good that you believe in Jesus for your salvation. Now, that's good, but you also have to have circumcision, become Jewish, obey the whole law in order to receive the promise of salvation. So, yes, believe in Jesus, but then do all these religious things, and then you can be saved. This was their message, and they, and they believed it. Thus, the letter. So, Paul's message, the gospel message, is that the moment that you believed in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, at that moment, you are made new. You receive his spirit. You are adopted into his family. You are in Christ You are in the body of Christ, and you receive a new heart that now has the ability and the desire to obey. It is complete transformation. The gospel is not religion. The gospel transforms us from the inside out and gives us freedom to want to obey. So verse 19 describes how we find this freedom. My little children, he still loves them. He says, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. His heart hurts for them. He tells them, you can have freedom. He's yearning for them. He says in verse 19, that Christ be formed in you. Freedom comes when Christ is formed in you. This is where freedom comes from. And how does this happen? Well, we just read a few weeks ago, and and actually last week, in chapter 4, verse 6, that we received the Spirit of God. And in verses even 3, verse 5, describes God works miracles in us by supplying the Spirit. This is through faith. And so when we have faith, he gives us the Spirit of God. And so Christ is formed in us by faith through the work of the Spirit. And so Christ shapes and forms our hearts to reflect his character, to want him. And, we get, and this, this freedom from following the law and a man-made way, Freedom. And so this freedom does not result in lawless, immoral living. No, it results in the Spirit making us, giving us a desire to follow Him. And so true freedom is having the ability and the desire to do what will lead to happiness. And so if you want to do something but you can't, well, that's not freedom. Freedom is having the ability and the desire, both, where you want to and then you can actually do that which will bring you joy. And that is what Jesus does through his gospel. He sets us free from enslaving idols. And Christ is formed in us. And then he finishes the chapter with a picture of freedom. So he gives an allegory. And so I'll read that to you and we'll wrap up chapter four. He says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are in labor, who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than one of those who has a husband. Now, you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise, but just as at the time he who was born according to the flesh. Persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. What does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Now, just to give you, just to summarize what this allegory is, he is juxtaposing, so putting side by side, he says, covenant, so this relationship of being of slavery and of freedom. So he's putting them side by side, and he's, he's teaching that through the story of Abraham and his wife, Sarah, and how God promised to give them a son, Isaac. Now, Abraham was 75 years old when God gave him the promise that he would have a son and many descendants. Well, 11 years later, he kind of got impatient. He was like, hey, I'm 86 years old. Um, I'm kind of getting up there. I'm in social security. I, I really need to go ahead and get on with this. And so he takes his slave woman, Hagar, and has a child with her. Now, that was not his wife, and God did not promise that it would come through Hagar. God promised a son through his wife, Sarah, but she wasn't exactly young either. I mean, she, she was already 65 when the promise first came. And so at this point, she was already 76 herself. So she was also old, well beyond childbearing years. And so there's this story that's being told here of the son of Abraham through Hagar, Ishmael, and the son through Sarah, Isaac, who was a free woman, it says. And so Israel represents there's these two sons and so free israel and so spiritually made new israel is represented with isaac and israel that is enslaved to the law is ishmael and so what you're looking at here is abraham he looked at his circumstances and he relied upon his own wisdom and his own ability and, and he took matters into his own hands when he had a child with Hagar. So that represents how we can use the law, and we try to follow it with our own ability and our own resources based on our man-made checklist, and it leads to slavery. Whereas Isaac was born through promise, through supernatural means. When Abraham was 100 years old and when Sarah was 90 years old, God kept his promise and did something absolutely supernatural by relying on God and relying on his promises and that is a picture of Isaac. And so Ishmael represents human effort. Ishmael represents trying to earn salvation. And because he was a slave, he could inherit nothing. This is trying to find the approval of others and being religious that represents Ishmael, Isaac, what he represents is the supernatural work of God through the spirit where God keeps his promises and we trust God and we are set free and we are heirs according to the promise. And so what this story here is telling us is that we can walk in freedom when we trust God and not in our own resources Let me read to you again verse 9. We read it earlier, but as we wrap up. But know that you have come to know God, he says, or rather, he says specifically, you have come to be known by God. How can you now turn back to weak and worthless idols? So he says, you have been known by God. That is huge. We need to stop and ponder that just for a minute. It's not just that you know God. It's that God knows you. See, here's what will happen. Your soul gets thirsty because you're a human. This is normal. You feel anxiety, or you feel stressed, or you feel angry, or you're worried, or you just have urges. Whatever it is, your soul has thirsts and desires. And I don't have time today to get into wounds, because that's part of this equation too, is your soul is also wounded. And from those wounds, it also can really heighten these these thirsts. But to keep it simple, you're going to feel something in your soul, in your heart. And then in that moment, you have to ask yourself a question. Do I really trust God? Or do I say, God, you're not enough. God, you can't heal me. God, you can't take care of me. God, you can't fill me. God, I don't trust you with this anxiety, this pain, this anger, this urge, this brokenness. I can't. I can't trust you. So what do you do? You, you look to your resources. You look to what you can do in your own power with your own ability. And so you click on something. Or you go eat Something. Or you go shopping for something. Or you click onto your bank account to check your 401k and see how it's performing. Or you do whatever. You do something. You go turn to something. An idol. To give you joy. To to relieve that ache instead of turning to Jesus. In that moment, you can stop and trust God and say, I will not give in to the flesh, I will walk in the spirit. I am free. Jesus has overcome the grave. He is my God and my King. He is with me, He is in me, and this evil has no power over me, and I will walk in the victory of Jesus. You have a choice to make. Do you trust Him? Do you really find God trustworthy? Sin will create shame. Oh, I'm evil. I'm a failure. I'm worthless. I'll never get this right. And those are lies. The voice of love is much louder than the voice of condemnation and shame of the enemy. I pray that today you will hear the voice of love. Saying, come. You're free. You don't need that. You don't need that weak and worthless idol. Come. I'm living water. Let me satisfy your deepest need and longing to know me. I'll close with this question. Do you want more? Do you truly want more than what you've been living for? God has made you for something much bigger than yourself. These deep desires are there because God put them there, that he would then satisfy them. Do you want more? Jesus offers more. He is better. Through the cross, Jesus has conquered. He offers us life. He offers us freedom. do